Hello again, my fellow Bible readers. Welcome to the five-day reading plan podcast. I'm Lance Ward, and I will be walking us through some of the highlights we read this past week. And always remember, you can download a copy of this reading plan so that you can see exactly what to read in the description of this podcast. You can also find it at fivedaybiblereading.com. And if you listen regularly, don't forget to get onto the podcast service that you use and Give us a review. Tell us how great we are and make me feel better, all right, or whatever you want to do. This week, week 44, we read Ezekiel 16 through 30, Psalms 84, 85, and 134, and we continued in the Gospel of John, chapters 6 through 10. In Ezekiel, most of the major prophets like Ezekiel contain graphic and powerful word pictures as the betrayed God seeks to give proper analogies for the unfaithfulness of his own people. In Ezekiel 16, the Lord does this by comparing their disregard to an abandoned infant taken by a merciful adult, then washed clean and nurtured, only to uh, turn against that adult later in life. If you've ever raised a child, you know just how helpless infants are. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't change their own diapers. They can't even lift their heads or control their bowels. In fact, they don't even know who you are, uh, nor do they at first have any idea how helpless they are. Such is the analogy of this chapter. But it's not just the analogy of any infant, but an abandoned infant left to die, whom God, by His grace, rescued and sacrificed for. So notice the betrayal he speaks of. God likens uh, their, what they've done to prostitution. His own people, those he had nurtured from birth, not only turned from him, but to the nations whom they slept with, he says, if you will, over and over again, too. On top of that, he says, you even began doing it for free. See also the graphic portrayals in chapter 23. This is not exactly vacation Bible school content. I can tell you that. That's for sure. I have lost count, by the way, of how many times the Lord equates Israel's idolatry and abandonment to adultery and prostitution. And anyone who has been betrayed by a spouse in this way can understand the intense emotion it arouses. So again, when we view the Old Testament God as angry and wrathful, reading the prophets can help us understand such intense expressions. Adultery leaves indelible wounds and scars. Prostitution is often an act of desperation leading to shame, not flourishing. God is right to feel the way he does, just as we would in the same situation. But again, as God is wont to do, At the end of chapter 16, he pledges to remember his covenant and to atone for this great wickedness. And this is how God is so unlike we are. It is his unreasonable kindness that leads to such a thing, a kindness that even the best of human beings would not exercise if we were betrayed in the way he had been. And we see in chapter 18, 21 through 24, further evidence that judgment and wrath are the last resorts of the gracious God. It says, he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. No, what gives God pleasure is the turning of the wicked to righteousness, an idea which will be repeated in our next week's reading, chapter 33. Chapter 22, verse 4 reminds us that judgment does not come from a God who gets his kicks condemning people, but is self-inflicted. You have brought your judgment days near and have come to your years of punishment, he says. God is indeed a judge, but we might think of him as judgmental. 
In reality, he is only rightly responding to those who have brought their punishment on themselves, an idea also voiced by Jesus in John 3, verses 17 through 18. Not only are the prophets like Ezekiel graphic, they are also alarming, as we see the lengths God goes to show his people the awfulness of their sin. He takes, in this account, he takes the life of Ezekiel's wife, then commands him not to mourn over her. This terrible situation prompts everyone around Ezekiel to ask, what do these things mean? Your wife is now dead and and you are not grieving. So the faithful prophet testifies to what God is about to do, and it won't be pretty. It will be heartbreaking. One last thing in this week's Ezekiel reading. In Luke 10, 13-15, Jesus speaks to the unrepentant people in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and even Capernaum, saying, If the miracles you have seen were done in Tyre and Sidon, even they would have repented long ago. Now, when you read God's extended words to Tyre and Sidon in Ezekiel 26-28, through you can get an idea of just how eye-opening Jesus' words were to his audience in Luke chapter 10. You might compare those two once again. In light of all this, consider how dangerous it is to turn against the grace of God. Consider how awful it will be for those who have been exposed to the goodness and grace of the gospel, but who have decided either to reject it or to pursue some other form of worship, some other God that appeals to them. I think you can see with me that God's warnings, severe as they may sometimes be, come not from some kind of -of out-of-control rage, but from love. He does not want to condemn He wants people to turn to him, a safe refuge and a trustworthy friend. Psalm 84 is a marvelous picture of the heart of worship written by the sons of Korah. Two themes I mainly see as they yearn to be wherever God's presence is, as you might have noticed, the two themes I see are hunger and affections. Their happiness comes not from personal circumstances or worldly pleasures, but simply from being near God from praising him, from getting their strength from him and trusting him. What is worship then, we might ask, in in light of Psalm 84? It is setting your attention and affections on something. When God is the center of our attention and the object of our affections, we are right where we are meant to be. So a personal question I ask that you might often ask yourself, what or whom is the center of my attention and the object of my affections? Whatever your answer is to that question, that is what you and I, you or I, are worshiping. Maybe you've used the phrase, in a perfect world, to describe things as they should be. Psalm 85, 10 through 13, describes what a perfect world really is. Faithfulness and truth reigning as king and queen, in a sense. Truth springing up and righteousness coming down. Abundant crops via the Lord's good hand, and righteousness going before us, lighting our path. And we know that one day this will be our perfect world if we trust in Christ. And as I often like to say to myself, we are one day closer. In this segment of John's Gospel, things begin to ramp up quite a bit as Jesus continues to make exclusive claims and the rage of his opponents grows more intense. After Jesus feeds the 5,000 in chapter 6, the people respond, this is, note the word, the prophet. Likely a reference back to Moses' words in Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, which is also quoted in Acts 3, 22 and 23. 
You see, for thousands of years, God's people had waited for this man Moses had spoken of, one who would speak and do far more and far above what Moses could. And in their eyes, this prophet, the prophet, was finally here. Moses gave the people bread, but in verses 30 through 35, Jesus claims, I am the bread, I the bread of life, to which they reply, much like the woman at the well, Sir, give us this bread always. Whether they realized it or not, what they were really saying was, Give us you. As chapter 6 ends, an alarming thing happens. Some of Jesus' own disciples turn away from him. This is not a reference to any of the 12 disciples, of course, but to a larger group who had followed Jesus from place to place for a certain period of time. But why? Why do they leave him? This teaching is hard, they say. Hard can also be rendered harsh. It is interesting today how the world will tell Christians that we need to back off or perhaps water down the exclusive claims of Christ to which we subscribe— Of course, we do need to be gentle and kind, but the assumption is that we can't be like Jesus if what we claim is offensive. If that is the case, though, we must remember that even Jesus at times was offensive, so much so that some of his own followers decided to go elsewhere. And it wasn't after he had said judgmental or harsh things. It was simply after he made certain claims. Whether these claims sounded too exclusive or too audacious— These claims were simply too much for them, so they took off. When we take the time to dig into Jesus' claims, we we can't be apathetic. We will either be attracted or repelled. As C.S. Lewis once said, either this man Jesus was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. Then Lewis says, you can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, and that's all. He has not left that open to us. Well, after this desertion in John 6, Jesus turns to the twelve and asks, Do you want to leave too? And then we hear some of the sweetest words in the gospel from Peter's mouth. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's quite possible that most who follow Christ will come to such a point or maybe several points in their Christian lives where circumstances will demand that they either keep trusting Jesus and his ways or turn away. Life, as many of us know, can get that dark and that challenging. And times like that are sure to come. Hopefully in our lives, when we hit those walls, we will conclude what Peter did, that there is simply no better alternative than the bread of life. Chapter 8 is probably not one of those chapters either you hear in Vacation Bible School. It's a chapter of great tension. The tensions continue to rise between Jesus and those who oppose him. First, he says he has the audacity to say in verses 29 and 46 that he is without sin and what he does always pleases the Father. Then he doubles down and says to his opponents, your father is the devil. (laughs) That is not going to win friends and influence people. Uh, Yikes. Wow. The peak of this tension comes near the end in verse 58, where Jesus says, Before Abraham was born, I am. And their response to that tells you all you need to know about such a bold claim. He was not claiming to be just a great teacher or even a great miracle worker. He was claiming to be the preexistent God, the one who created the very people in front of him and gave them their law many centuries prior. And this claim really irks them. They pick up stones 
to stone him. But he gets away. And then in chapter 9, I think this is a pivotal chapter in the Gospel of John because it highlights a major theme in John, light and darkness. Jesus comes in as the light of the world, and, and in John, light and darkness are sometimes seen as spiritual sight, being able to see Jesus for who he is, and spiritual blindness, also a couple of prominent themes in 1 John, which we'll read in a few weeks. And the man's healing in John 9 is a word picture of two dominant responses to Jesus, either affection or rejection. The ones who reject Jesus are therefore self-righteous, and therefore, ironically, they are the ones who are spiritually blind, even though they are better educated in the things of the law. The irony here, then, is a blind man, though helpless and needy, is given the gift of sight, not just of the eyes, but of the soul. Here's a couple of things this story tells us. One, light reveals what darkness conceals. Light of Christ, the light of Christ, will either expose a need for God or our resistance to God. And those who realize their need come forth with confession and repentance. Those who think they have no need double down on their self-sufficiency. Light reveals what darkness conceals. We also see that darkness is our default setting, which is also emphasized in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. We see this idea in John that we are all born spiritually blind. We, we need intervention. We need our spiritual eyes opened. We may think we can truly see, but without the light of Christ, we are really walking in darkness, fumbling through life through our finite understanding. Now, you may be a person that's listening, and you're in recovery. You've, you've gone through a step study. You're part of the 12 steps, and you know what that first step is. It's admitting that you have a problem you can't solve in and of yourself. You are powerless to overcome it alone. That's not just some reach, recent invention of the 12 steps. That's here in the Gospel of John. That's true in this story. This blind man has a problem. Jesus' critics really don't, at least in their eyes. Jesus won't do anything for you if you don't need him. He didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And so this story has a higher aim than a compassionate healing. It is placed here to remind us of a major theme in John's gospel, one that the least likely end up embracing and that the most likely often cannot see. Do you know that you're completely helpless apart from Christ? Are you relying on your own morality or goodness, or have you realized that you are utterly impotent without God's help in Christ? Are you your own shepherd, or are you putting all your eggs in the basket of the good shepherd of chapter 10? Do you see him for who he is and see yourself for who you are without him? Do you, as he says in chapter 10, hear his voice and respond to it with affections? Do you rejoice that you belong to Jesus and that no one can therefore snatch you out of the Father's hand? Or are you putting confidence in yourself? Maybe we can meditate on those questions this week and in line with Psalm 84, turn our affections to Jesus, who has rescued us not only from our sins, but even from ourselves. I hope that's your story. I know it's mine. Well, next week we can continue John 11 through 15. We'll also read in the Old Testament Ezekiel 31 through 45. I'm telling you what, Ezekiel's a long book. Keep going. We're almost there. Ezekiel 31 through 45. And then in the Psalms, we'll look at 86, 87, and 135. We'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a great one until then.